So Ben and I already got into it, but I was like, wait a second, hold on, hold on. Let's, let's, let's back up and let's get this on the, uh, <laughs> cause this is like philosophical stuff. So I was just sharing about how, you know, I'm sitting here in Mexico and I, I feel really blessed to like out of crazy circumstances to end up in this place for the entire quarantine. And I was also talking about how, you know, uh, no, I don't have anyone here. And the solitude is something that like, we never really get to do in our lives. And I've really been savoring this moment. And, um, and, and then Ben was, was so, okay, go, go back on your, on your thread. <laughs> <laughs> I, I, I was saying, yes, I was agreeing with you. And also just uh, acknowledging, you know, how, how beautiful and what a blessing it is to, for 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 many of us to be afforded this opportunity and to see it that way and have the resources you know whether they're financial or communal resources or you know your your just your your familial resources whatever that that your your responsibilities allow you to to sort of explore this this like really precious wrinkle in time you know it's uh yeah i'd say the two times i think about that most like the as you're speaking, I've been thinking about that constantly here because I lucked out with that situation. But the only other time that I've ever, I think, had the presence of mind to to think about the blessings of having these resources, community, whatever it may be, to put me in a situation is New Orleans. And when I come <laughs> to New Orleans and the way that I come to New Orleans is I'm constantly, and it's funny, I didn't even think of this until you were speaking just now. I was realizing what you were describing. It's rare that you, in the moment, realize it when you're, when you're lucky, when you're like, man, this is, holy shit, this is special. And it's rare that that happens in life. And I, I've had that now. You know, obviously, it's a, it's a scary time. But, you know, outside of the, the, the horror of it, I've been able to realize, wow, I, I'm in a, I'm very safe and I'm in a beautiful, beautiful situation and I need to do right by this. The other time that I, every time I come to New Orleans, people like yourself welcome me with open arms. I am constantly just feeling, holy shit, this is such a special place and I get to do it in such a special way. And like, I'm always so grateful uh, the way that I, that every time I go, it's, it's unlike, it's like, I've never been there before. And like, I never left <laughs> at the same time. And it's so wonderful. You know, so, something I, um, I meditate on a lot is the responsibility that comes with the blessings that you receive in life. Mm -hmm. You know, and I, I, I think about that a lot. And I think about uh, all of the good fortune. I mean, whether you call it blessings or good fortune, yeah. wh whatever you're, whatever you want to call it. Circumstances, and whatever it is. Yeah. Whatever, whatever yeah. brings us here. You and know? It, right. And for some people it, it's a financial blessings. <clears throat> um, for me, it was growing up in a, a community of musicians and them sharing uh, just very self selflessly sharing their music with me, you know, with, with, uh, with, with, with really no second thought. It was just, it was this constant gift that I was receiving all, mm -hmm. over and over again. And, 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 
it's interesting. You don't, sometimes you don't realize that when you're in that moment, uh, that when you're receiving those gifts, that that's what's happening, you know, because you're usually, you know, young, you know, and it's not so we're both second generation. So we have a similar, I mean, just, I I don't want to make this, uh, talk about like the history of preservation hall or Ben or anything like that, like that, go read a fucking article, you know, but like, uh, to do it really quickly, (laughs) we're talking to Ben Jaffe. He is second generation preservation hall. Uh, it is, I mean, the most important institution in the most important music town in the world arguably literally like it's holy ground for music not just jazz but just music and um his parents took it over and made it what it is in 19 was it 60 61 61 yeah. 61 okay so we're we're getting into the the 60th yeah anniversary yeah right. my math correct right yeah we're about to um and uh and ben took over um in the it, what 90s 80s 90s yeah early 90s, yeah. Early 90s yeah, yeah 93 yeah so so we we've connected in the last you know 10 years um and ben's known my my dad as well and we both you know so, so one thing that we both share is like i grew up like i man you know i'm so, i'm sure similarly like you didn't know that the guy who was just like your dad introduced you to is like the best clarinet player in the universe just like I, I didn't realize like this guy that's hanging out with my uncle or my dad or something is like the greatest DJ in history. And when I tell stories right. about like, oh, this person gave me this, this piece of advice, they're like, you know, freaking out. And to me, it was like, whatever. And, and, and yes, yeah, so at this stage in our lives, though, we are present and we do understand. And if you're fortunate, sure, if sure. you're fortunate, <laughs> if yeah, because uh, some people don't always have that that moment of of in enla- you know uh, whatever it is that realization of the value of that that those gifts that people were, were bestowing on you you know and uh, and part of it what I was saying is is part of that comes with this incredible responsibility to sort of pay it forward and continue uh, continue to pass the blessings like a blessing. A blessing shouldn't end with you. A blessing should pass through you, mm-hmm. you know, to the next person. That's that's honestly what I believe, you know, and that that that's really something that you feel sort of happens in New Orleans, just very very uh, gracefully, you know, is just this passing of blessings, you know, from generation to generation. And I'll, I'll never, I'll, I'll never ever take anything, any gift that anybody has ever given me, physical gift or uh, advice, like you were saying you know, a words of wisdom or a lesson on an instrument. Those are, those are, uh, that, that, that's, 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 that's better than anything, you know, and that, 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 that's what comes with this gift of this, this moment in time, you know, I, because I, I, I do know some, some people who, you know, they're out of work, they're don't have any income and their, their situation is, 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 you know, much different than what my situation is. You know, and, and, and I realized that, you know, man, man, whatever the lessons I'm learning now and the blessings I've been given are for them to pass to to my community, my neighbors, you know, and that's something that's very, very strong in New Orleans, something that you feel and that you were talking about, you know, that 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 communal love. That's something that's very, very strong here. So you've done this once before and your father did it from what your mother and father did it, it was, it was where they, you know, they, they inherited it with the, this, the sickness was 
you know, the, the, the ecosystem of New Orleans was broken when your when your parents started and you've seen it break once with Katrina. It, it's it just broke yeah. again. And the healing yeah. is about work, you know, well, I mean, responsibility you know, for, again. well, I mean, what I learned from my parents, one of the lessons that I learned without them, without us as a family, we, it was something that was just never was spoken about. I guess it was just something that we, you know, it was these uh, life lessons that you, you inherit. My parents, yeah, we never talk about know, this shit either. <laughs> yeah, just, yeah, exactly. We were like, just you alive, know, it, you know? Well, exactly. You, you, and, and your parents, you know, a lot of times they're following their muse and they're following their heart and they're, and, 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 and they're creating something great, but very few people actually set out to create something great. You know, um, they, they achieve something great, you know, and that's what my parents did here in new Orleans. I mean, in 61, when preservation hall was still this, uh, collective of artists and, you know, this, this underground thing that was happening, uh, here comes, you know, this, this, this young Jewish couple from Philadelphia and organizes this place, you know, this, 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 this sort of, you know, fringy collection of artists and musicians and organizes it into a place that uh, is the first like, desegregated music venue in the South in 1961. Oh, the, I didn't know that. Wow. Huh. Yeah. I mean, at the height, <clears throat> at the height of the civil rights movement, you know, they, and understand New Orleans does have a different relationship with race than the rest of the South. And that, that's really sure. because we're not the South. You know, I, I always tell people we're the, yes, we're the, sure. we're like Northern Cuba, we're Northern Haiti, <laughs> we're like the Northern Caribbean, you know, we're not the South at all. Uh, so we have a different relationship because we have this, uh, you know, French, Spanish and African and indigenous cultures that, that uh, intermarried. Yeah, the Congo Square, you know, so that, everything that, that came that, out of that, you know. Exactly. So, you know, here we are. So that was that was that was that was the mountain that my parents, you know, faced. That was the wall and, and the thing that they were carrying on their shoulders. Huh. And uh never really talked about it because they just did what was right. You know, they just did the right thing. And after Katrina, that was the same thing. It was like, you know, you just, you just do what's right. And what's right is, is to care for your community. Mm. And that's, that's what just gets you through shit. You know, at the end of the day, man, is just addressing like what needs to be addressed today, you know? So you're like living in the present with, with, you know, a, a sort of eye to the future, you know? So you're not, you're not just kind of walking blindly into the future. You're, you're kind of walking with purpose into the future, but you're very, very present in in, in the, the here and now so i mean very yeah. topically what's what's going on right now and what you know i mean seeing. you know it it it's uh it's dramatic you know um it's it's interesting because it's, it's not something that 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 that, uh, that most of us didn't see coming you know it, it's unbelievable but, you know, anybody who really studies history and uh, kind of looks at it, it, it cycles, there's, there, there are these moments. I mean, whether it's a world war or polio or malaria or, what, you know, whatever it is, or, or a flu virus in, in the 1600s, there have been these moments that have just completely shut, shut the entire world down, you know. Um, and uh, 
who knew? I mean, you know, I, I suspected it was going to be, you know, war that they just completely shut everything down or it was going to be some kind of like, you know, cyber attack that just shut every bank down and Wall Street and the government. I mean, in New Orleans, you know, you can look this up, man. Our, our, our city government has been shut down for almost six months. We, our, 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 our computer system has been being held ransom. For like the past six oh, months, like, man. Uh, whoa, wow. In New Orleans. Holy shit. I mean, that was that was going on. That was already, yeah. The, yeah, I mean, like New Orleans was already shut down. Like you had to go to City Hall to do anything. You couldn't put anything in the mail. Oh my god. Get paper receipts. I people were paying. Yeah, people That's were like paying. the uh, Marty Grubman's law firm. I don't know if you saw this story, but they're being held for no. like twenty-four million dollar ransom right now. Basically, like oh you gosh. know, one of the biggest music industry lawyers for right. yeah, you know, yeah, forty yeah. years um with clients like eight you know major a-list clients yeah yeah they're they're withholding all of all the files they have everything all the numbers all the personal and they can't they can't access anything and so it's like not only do they have it but then like you can't access it either yeah and and they're asking for it's like 20 something million dollars and you know what do you what do they do what do you do because I mean, the files are sitting exactly, on a on a yeah. hard drive right now, like these people can release it anytime. Like you can get like the most, you can get the best like CIA operatives to find out who does it, whatever. It, you can't. They release the information. They release the information. You know, like hey man, you know, it's it, it, it's been in a brave world for a long time. Yeah, you know, we've just it, for for a lot of us, it's just. This, this, because it's virtual, it's hard for us to, to wrap our brains around, right? Uh, you know, this, all of it, you know. Um, I'm, the I'm movie's about, not, it's a weird movie. The yeah. cinematic aspects of the movie, it's, you know, yeah, <laughs> they don't work the same. I mean, my, my, my daughter's gonna, I mean, my daughter who's eight years old is, uh, and living through this moment in time, just thinking that about this being her history, right? You know, that this moment is gonna be something that, that her and her friends talk about forever. And talking about their experience, what was your COVID experience? What was your totally. COVID experience? My you niece know? is about to turn three, and this is part of her development. Right? Yeah, yeah. With talking stuff and and converse with adults and like, yeah. hmm, okay. Part of that is she spent like what's going <clears> to <throat> probably six months, you know, talking to no one but her mom, dad, and grandparents. <laughs> yeah, I mean, my daughter's at that age where she doesn't really. I mean, none of this, like, whatever. This is just life right now. Yeah. Yeah, you know? totally. Uh, it's like whatever. Okay, let's. I mean, for me and my wife, it's like this huge disruption and like you know, big emotional thing that we're dealing with. But for for her, it's just, it's like she's making, she's doing whatever we do and right. making the best out of it. If we make the best out of right. it, if we freak out and you know, she's freaking out. If we're screaming at each other and she's screaming and you know, the whole thing. Um, it's it's uh, it's a brilliant time, man. To 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 be alive um, <laughs> it's it's also just one of those i mean i hate to even look into the future too hard because who knows man i mean we can man, be having yeah. this conversation a year from now you might you know i i hope you're not sold down there i hope you're, you're back with us again at jazz fest or something but uh, oh my god that thought you know. those words just just feeling that holy wow yeah like that. I mean, Jazz Fest was a month ago. Yeah, or oh, you know to... what? Actually, I was uh, oh funny because Greg, I was talking to Greg and Travis the other day, and um, they, uh, I, I didn't, I didn't put it together. I was supposed to come for your benefit, like yeah. whatever that was, February Val- Valentine's Day. Right. Yeah, Valentine's Day. Con- yeah, and I Con- got, and I got sick, and I didn't come. 
And that's, so instead I went to Mexico and, okay. and here we are. <laughs> yeah. So my, I was supposed to be, I got, I got sick in the beginning of the year and I thought I was going to be better for your, th- that was my goal. I was like, I'm sick, but I'm going to power through and I'm going to get better and I'm going to celebrate Valentine's day kind of all. Yes. And yes, I yes. wasn't better. And I had to come down to Mexico to like continue to, you know, to convalesce. And then this happened. So yeah, so it's crossed my mind a couple of times, like, oh my God, it wow. would be so cool to dance in New Orleans with people. Yes. Hearing again. music. Oh my God. So yeah. what, what's, and it was what's a beautiful, it was like? a beautiful. What's, oh yeah. I mean, yeah, well that was actually like our last hoorah. Right. Um, we did Carnival, our crew to Carnival, you know, with Arcade Fire. And then uh, that rolled right I watched into, it. Into I watched Gras. the live stream. Yeah. It was incredible. I mean, we had oh, we amazing. had we had drum we had drummers from the Congo and uh, you know musicians from Haiti and 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 us and the, the sounds were incredible. I mean, it was it really did it, it really felt the energy of Congo Square. You know, so this there, one here we could do a little background on this because I I want people to really know about. I want to talk about your fundraisers and I want the current one and maybe mm-hmm. like give a little background of, of, of the crew and how that came together and, and what you guys did. Yeah. I'm going to get my so, crew, so, uh, crew to Carnival is, uh, is our Mardi Gras crew that I started with a uh, winning regime, uh, Butler from, from Arcade Fire. Uh, she's she's of Haitian descent and they live in New Orleans and the whole idea was to connect reconnect New Orleans and Haiti uh, through music and, and exp- artistic expression so we started this crew because uh, you know most crews in New Orleans are are sort of old line crews that have been around for hundreds of years and sort of reflect the the old guard in new orleans and we wanted to create something that that reflects here and now and um this is our third year and this was our first year actually being a a part of a parade with trombone shorty and uh it was incredible what can i say i mean the the, we we brought up uh every year we bring dozens of musicians from haiti to participate with us we brought uh you know dozens of musicians from miami of haitian descent uh, we brought musicians from the Congo and Africa. We brought everybody that that had a sort of DNA blood connection to New Orleans was represented for Carnival, and it's so, it, it, it's a cultural event, but it's also a celebration, and it's a dance party, and it's a parade, and it's a concert. It's it, I mean, it's about six different events over two days. It's it's own it's its own sort of traveling mini festival that that, that, that that goes to to different parts of, of the city and pops up in different parts of the city something that you know one of the reasons why i wanted ben on this especially like before you know like first representing new orleans I, i'd say ben and, and troy trombone shorty are kind of like sons of new orleans that deliver the message to the rest of the world there's such richness in new orleans but one of the concerns is that it just it stays there and you go to new orleans and you experience it and it's there and you go back whenever you want but like that's it and it doesn't go anywhere and it doesn't like if you don't go there you just don't know it it exists there's it's not on a playlist it's not getting press Mm -hmm. it's not you know it wasn't on mtv in the 90s uh it 
like it's not even it's not on the internet there's no live stream there's like you know there's not even a stage so like you can't even get phone video from Vaughn's to understand what Vaughn's is like on, you know, right. at 3 a.m. on right. a Tuesday. Like you just, you, you can't. So part of the responsibility, cause, cause so, so Vaughn's at 3 a.m. on a Tuesday, like it's not even worth uh, trying to explain to someone. It's not worth recounting. It's just, you got to do it, but we got to get people there and we got to keep it alive. And there's people like Ben and Troy who figure this out, who get it to the rest of the world and make it relevant in ways that, you know, you come to New York and you have residencies, you you know, year round worldwide, uh, like McKittrick hotel kind of stuff like that. So there's people who, I mean, I'm sure you have a lot of, of audience who's probably never been to the actual preservation hall, but, yeah. maybe comes and buys a table at McKittrick Hall, you know, every time. Um, and so the, the crew bringing Regine and Wynn into the fold is really a big deal. I've seen a few people come down. I won't name names, but there's a few who have come in and like, get a place on Frenchman or something and they get really into the community and they're going to like bring it to everyone. And like, maybe they cut their record there and they talk about it in articles, but like, then they leave, they go back to Los Angeles or they go back wherever. Right. But you know, this is like, re this is real. This is substantial. The crew is, yeah, is growing man. and There's it's like, no, it gets to people worldwide. Totally. Brings totally. New Orleans. And, 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 and I, I, it is missionary work. I mean, I've lived, it's very interesting what you said. I mean, I've, I've lived here long enough. Uh, I've lived here long enough. I mean, I'm from here. I'm born here. You know, I, I'm from fucking here. So I guess <laughs> I, I, yeah. Um, you realize the difference in people's soul when they come here, whether they're, they're asking for something to, you know, give me, give me, give me something. Or if they're coming like this, you know, and they're like, what can I give you? Yeah, you know, you you immediately pick up on that energy very quickly, you know, and when New Orleans Regine, is like a is like a beautiful female muse that a lot of men yes. will like want to date and get that good album out, you know, and then bam. yeah, but like very few Tom yeah. Waits, Kathleen Brennan kinds of partnerships, you know, and I yeah, feel like you exactly. guys have a Tom Waits, Kathleen Brennan situation with with the Arcade Fire family. Oh my God, it is, <laughs> it's, and it, because it's it inspires each other. You know, I mean, um, totally. I was I was just with Win the other night. You know, they're working on their new album. Um, they started working on it. You know, I mean, you're always kind of you're always working on material. I mean, whether you know it or not, you're always writing down lyrics, and you're always if something if you hear something, you pop it in your phone and sure. go back to it and listen to it later. You're always, you know. I mean, anybody who's in business or or the arts or, or it doesn't, you know, just not on it doesn't, off time. Yeah. No, no. You just, you know, especially now that you have your phone. I mean, we used to carry <laughs> notebooks around with us all the time. And now you look at my phone, you'd be like, you know, you know, here's my movie list. Uh, uh -huh. Every time I, you know, every time I listen to a podcast and, you know, people start rattling off people's names, yeah. I'm, you know, I'm, I'm okay. Who's this guy? Who's that guy? Who's this guy? Okay. What, what band is this? Okay. You know, I'm listening to, um, you know, I just listened to like the the incredible podcast, man. It's a uh, Chuck D. Cool. Eight episodes talking about the Clash. Have you heard this yet, man? No, you know, I'll uh, I'm gonna make a note. Bro, pop that to the top of your must do, I'll do list it tomorrow. Okay, uh, 
Yeah, I mean, whether, you know, it's interesting for a lot of people, including myself, you know, the clash, the clash, and I'm going to go off topic for a second here. Whatever. Just a, a little rant. Yo, I don't have music, a format here. I just want cool stuff. Okay. <laughs> stuff we care about. So the, well then, well then this is, then this is important because, yeah. you know, the clash are, you know, perhaps the most important band in some ways of the last uh, 30 or 40 years. You know, I honestly believe that maybe one of the greatest bands of all time. They, uh, they, uh, they came, they were a band before MTV. And then they had that, then they had their hit with like rock the Casbah, you know? So then a, a, a lot of people, a lot of people met, met the clash about three or four albums into their career. You know, so they didn't they didn't catch the clash when they were this underground punk, uh, you know, thing that was happening. You know, them and the Sex Pistols were like, you know, battling it out in 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 London and, um, you know, and the the whole fashion scene and just the whole thing was going down, man. Uh, but this 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 podcast reintroduced me to the clash because I'm, I'm i've always been a huge fan i mean one of the very first cassettes i ever bought was a fats domino cassette ernie cato cassette and at the same time a clash I way bought, cool I sandinista those were the three first cassettes i ever bought and it was because you know i bought fats domino i bought ernie cato and then the cool guy behind the counter recognized you know what i was buying and he's like hey kid you should check this out. And he yeah. like gives me Sandinista. Amazing. And I'm like, whoa, what is this? Yeah. What is this shit? This is crazy. What is going on here? So I've always been a huge Clash fan. And then to hear uh, Chuck D talk about what an influence they were on him and, and Public Enemy. Without the Clash, he says there would have never been a Public Enemy because the Clash was not only wow. the inspiration, but they were the, they were really the, the, the idea behind forming public enemy was creating a hip hop clash. Wow. And that was it. Just like, we're going to burn, we're burning we're just, we're, we're going to tear the system down. We're going to tear the system down. We're going to, you know, just like rage against the machine, we're tearing down the system, you know? So yeah, check it out. It, it, it was beautiful. And it got me so back. It got me just back into like, the seventies and like the eighties and, 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 and the fashion and the people and the bands that were there and, and the, the whole scene in New York and the lower East side and, you know, Soho when it was still, you know, warehouses and burnt down. And so I talk CBGBs, about that and yeah. uh, I wrote an article that came out with like two days ago in music business worldwide about just about like creativity and about what we can do with this moment and sort of about how like, you know, a lot of us take it super negatively about consolidation and the machine and all of that. And really talking about like collaborate and make the machine work for you, that it's not a bad guy, that we need to team up and, and make the stuff that we really care about. Stop trying to be relevant. Stop trying to, you know, just like make noise. Um, and I related it to a few paradigms of artists that exist today who are really doing it right. Like Grimes, Frank Ocean, Sophie and Drake, I mentioned to give like total, like a yeah. whole, whole spectrum. And, you know, and I said, Oh, does that sound like out of reach? Does that sound too unrealistic for you? Look at New York city in the early 1980s. 
and I, and I talked about that exactly this time where everything was, you know, literally it, things were burning down and, um, everyone just, they had no reason not to, they had nothing else going on. They had no money. They had no resources. There was no infrastructure. So they just all got together and said, oh, we need a camera. Let's find someone with a camera. We need a venue. Let's find someone with a venue. You know, we need a DJ, like, like we need a singer. And, and it was just all of that and everyone right. working together. And really that's my favorite era. Like I'm born in 1984 and I have realized over the last few years, I, I didn't make the connection. I have always been a fan of that era, but I didn't make the connection mm. until the last couple of years that, holy shit, I am particularly drawn to 1980 and 1986. And yeah. that's not a big thing that happened. You know, I'm from New York City and 1980 to 1986 was a special time in New York City. There's a lot of books on it. It's not, it's not yes. a secret, you know? And a lot of the people yeah, that, yeah, I, yeah. that I look at are, that's that was that that was the moment there were that there was were, the moment yeah there were there were a bunch of moments but I, I have nothing to do with them you know that moment was it's the archetype for how I want to do stuff you know every time I've thrown a good party in New York City it has integrated ideology lessons from that period and um, something that I'm very excited about right now that again like I feel like this responsibility to constantly like uh, preface anything that I say about right now, like with like there's horror and trauma and danger left and right. However, beyond that, there's an exciting time for creatives. You, you, yes, you're nailing it on the nose. I mean, all of my artist friends um, are feeling that, and one of the things that 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 I I'm very grateful uh, for is having gone through, lived through Hurricane Katrina. Sure. Actually in this place, in this house where I'm sitting right now, my yeah. studio is where I was for Hurricane Katrina. You, you, you live with these, this, these extreme emotions, you know, you, you live with the horror of death and, 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 and the pain of loss and then the beauty of, of, of this moment in time. And that, that was something that we, 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 all of us struggle with who've lived through Katrina. We, yeah. we, we saw the horror of it and we also saw the beauty of it. And you just, you live with these, these extreme, like very, very extreme emotions. You know, there's, there's hardly anything here in the middle. It's all like way out here. What's the, in the middle the edges, is all the desperation you know? for relevance that we are so smothered by oh, in the culture. That stuff, man. I, I want yeah. that to disappear. No, let, let, let's let's accept this, man. Yeah, yeah. Let's accept this. Like, let's Stretch. accept these extremes, man. Absolutely. You got to. Absolutely. You have to. And 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 that's that's something I'm so hopeful for that 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 I feel is happening. I feel like it's happening. You know, I mean, all of my friends who are 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 um are 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 willing to talk about it mm -hmm. are saying yeah man i'm i i'm feeling this weird thing i'm feeling this kind of i mean how is it okay for me to see beauty right now is that okay is it okay to see beauty in all of this and it's like yeah man you know loving the time of cholera baby i yeah, mean exactly. come on <laughs> love like, the time you know, of like, corona yes it's okay it loved that was that was it was like that was the first t-shirt i made after the, oh, wow. like as soon as corona hit yeah. i was like love in the time of corona because yeah. i i immediately just said 
this there this is going to be I, I have to be me through all mm-hmm. of this you know and i knew i i i prayed that i wasn't going to lose friends and family members and musicians that i knew but i have and 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 life has has prepared me for this moment you know um right. and i've seen my artist friends create some beautiful beautiful works right now i've seen them i've seen them going deeper there's there's no room right now for bubblegum you got yeah, it you like, can't possibly room, you know? hit a microphone and be like i want to make something for spotify playlists like you can't yeah. do like no human no, has like, that instinct in them no no it's like it's like <laughs> every put your hands up way. no one's gonna make that today yeah. you can't well if you are it's not like it's not speaking to so what have you what have you loved you know what's been what's been made recently that, that you love man i i you know i i interestingly i mean i'm i'm older than you i'm i'm you know I'm, i was born in the 70s in the early 70s so you know technology to me is um i i have always had this sort of uh push and pull relationship with technology you know i i've understood its power but i've never really connected with it i didn't understand where where i fit into it all you know uh and since covid i've seen my i've seen my friends and myself starting to connect in a very personal way with uh with the internet and social media in a way that many people of my age did not, you know, and it's not because it's not because we're curmudgeons or we're anti-technology or just, you know, want to live in the past and just, you know, we're not that at all. It's that this is a technology that we, that, that was created during our lifetime. And we never, we never, some of us just never found like peace with it. We never found like our, like, how, how do I use this? Like where you have a workflow and you have to interrupt you know, your workflow in order to learn this new one. And you just never did that. Well, what I, I mean, the, the, one of the first things that happened after, after COVID was some very dear friends of mine, they have a band called shovels and rope and they had just been in new Orleans, uh, live, you know, staying at, at my studio over, 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 over Mardi Gras. And they called me and they said, Hey, we're, we're doing this thing for Willie Nelson you know, the luck ranch, uh, cool. thing, you know, South by gets canceled. I've been reading that book. Like a, yeah. Right. Willie Nelson book. Yeah. Yes, like, yes. like that's one I of mean, my books that I have here. Yeah. I mean, we all take, we all take when South by got canceled. We all took a gasp. Like we were, we all, I mean, that was the first time that it really hit hard. Yeah, this is real. That this, this is, yeah, this is, whoa. I mean, if South by's, if they're not just going to do this, just to do it they are they're doing this based on like real information so we all took it very seriously and, and the, the first um kind of so the so like the first virtual thing that happened for me was this festival that usually happens at willie's ranch called the the luck you know on his luck ranch mm-hmm. and uh a bunch of my friends were on it that night and it was just interesting to sit there just like you and I are sitting here doing this, you and I would have never thought to, to like, Oh no, we wouldn't have pulled this off. We would have been, we would have been like, this is crappy. The sound sucks. <laughs> you know, Janky background. Like you know? <laughs> yeah. You sound like shit. There's no internet connection. You know, like 
call me when you get back to New York. And like, you know, we would have just like thrown our head, you know, yeah. and now you're, you're like watching Dave Grohl, like, you know, struggling with like, you know, to get his thing up on the, right. on the tonight show or, you know, just different bands and, and, and the audience. It's me, as yeah. It's like, it's, it's saying, you know what? I, I love this. I'm, I'm watching people just be people. Uh -huh. I'm just watching artists be artists and discover <laughs> and just say, you know what, just play your guitar, man. I, I just, I don't care if it's in tune. I don't care if it's, I mean, I, I don't care if there's a lag or whatever. Just, I, I just want to be with you right now. Mm. You know, I just want to be with, with, with my, with, with these people that I love, you know, and care about. So I've, I, I've, 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 I've seen my friends just, you know, have, sort of create a different relationship like this. We would have, you know, this is a new thing and I'm, I'm, I'm loving this. I'm loving talking to you. We haven't talked in a long yeah, time. It's been a you know? Yeah. Yeah. Uh, yeah. I planned catch ups so during it, it, February, but I missed everything. Yeah. Exactly. Good we exactly. get to do this. Yeah. I was listening to uh, Paul Schrader, filmmaker, talking about this, about, you know, this was like early. He's been, he's been talking a lot on Facebook and stuff. And um, it was just an interview. And one of the things that he, he was probably the first person, like I saw say this, where he was just like, and spending a lot of time just picking up the phone and calling people that like, I haven't called in a long time. and just saying, how are you? Like he talks about, he called, uh, who was it? He called Michael Mann. Paul Schrader's talking about it. He called Michael Mann, just called him up and said, All right. how are you doing? Like, like, he's like, he's like, I don't think we've, Michael Mann picks up and he's like, Paul, Paul Schrader. Like, you know, I don't think we've had a conversation in 30 years, you know, <laughs> but it's like, yeah, but that doesn't matter. Like but, whatever. I mean, how beautiful, but how, you know? I mean, that, 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 yeah, that, that's that beauty. I mean, it's awesome. I, I, I mean, I've been doing the same thing. I mean, I, I won't tell you all the names, but um, I mean, people who I have been looking for a reason to reconnect with, you know, totally. a lot of times, unfortunately uh, for most people, I mean, you, you only connect during weddings or like, it, it, you know, the birth of a child or, or uh, I don't know. Um, uh, you know, at a funeral moments, yeah. you know, yeah, moments. And, the, and, and all of a sudden I find myself like, you know, Hey man, Hey, I'm just checking in on you. And just, you just wanted to tell you, I'm thinking of you and sending you guys love. We're all good down here in new Orleans. And you know, if you need anything or think of us, just, you know, anytime anybody pops in my head, I told my wife, we have this thing That's that we nice. can do it for two months. I'm like the moment, the moment a person pops in your head, hit them up for whatever reason hit them up don't don't wait yeah. just do it right there and i it, it's unbelievable how many times the person will hit you back man i was just thinking about <laughs> you you know and, and 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 it happened so many times that i just said look babe i don't know what's going on just just you think of somebody hit them just shoot them a quick text and just say hey just checking in love you guys boom you know I think uh, it's it just have to be, created a lot of warmth yeah. and a lot of focus on yeah. like, what matters, you know, yes. uh, our, our world has gotten noisier than ever, you know, like exponentially noisier. And that, that, I mean, that's why the virus is just because of all the noise. And I think we, you know, unconsciously recognize that. And, and we're, some of us are, are proactively thinking about it and strategizing to get, to, to cut out that noise and focus. But, you know, I think unconsciously we're just like our decision-making process is shifting and all the sudden all these factors that were part of how we make choices, like all the, you know, your day-to-day, -day, it prevented you 
from texting that person, like all of a sudden is gone. And now you get to isolate in that decision. And when you actually think about it for a second, you're like, oh, of course I should do this. And you do. And it's better. And it's right. nice. <laughs> and like, so th- yeah, that, that's the shit that exactly. I'm excited about is, is like nice. ideas are going to come of this where, you know, even myself, like I'm finding uh, many time, m- m- many times over the last couple of months, it's like the reasons why I would similar to something else or positioned for something, you know, all of those things are gone. And I'm just making the exact song that I want to make. And that's it. Mm -hmm. That's the only choice I have. Like right now, the only way forward for me. So like with this show, for example, like what you're, what we're doing right now, like I had the, I had the seat of this, you know, back in 2015 when I was at Apple and we were doing beats one and it was like, yo, why doesn't Sean do something? And we, and we, we, I, I have, I've shot a few things and like, it's never been perfect. And I haven't, Oh, I needed this team or that agency or this or whatever. And now all of a sudden I'm just like, yo, I just want to do this honestly, because like, first of all, I want to do it with my time. Like I literally like it's eight o'clock on Thursday. What am I going to do? I can, you know, I have ample time to read the books I want to read, but like I can also have this in depth with Ben. And like, we could just like do it, but it's kind of better when like, there's an impetus for it. And, and, and we like, just throwing this kind of energy behind it and making it special and making it like, I just, yeah, I, I feel yeah, just giving energy to the connectivity is really cool. And, and that's like what, what's made me excited yeah. about doing this is that saying that like, yeah. you know, being able to put specialness on like, yeah, like I can tell you a million times that, you know, you hosting me in New Orleans is super cool and thanks. Like, and that's, that's important, but I do like, I never want to come. The only time I ever come to preservation hall alone is when Greg says, you can't bring anyone tonight. And <laughs> when it's like, so, you know, Dave Grohl's there or something and he's like, we're a hundred people and that's it. No plus. Yeah, yeah. But otherwise I always yeah. want to share that. I always want to bring people to New Orleans. Right. And, you know, so, so this yeah. is like me, you know, the way that I think about this show is like, what are the things that are most important to me? How can I distill them and hand them to other people? You know, yeah. so rather than just like have a catch up with Ben, how can I spread? Cause I think about it about my universe, you know? So I, I don't think about this, just it's not charity. You know, I want to, the, the good feelings that I have when I go to new Orleans and when I come to the hall, I want more of that. And I want more people to understand that and replicate that. And then my life gets better. So, you know, I see the show it's, it's called tea with SG for a reason. Like I think tea is really important. It's a huge part of my, of my day to day of my life. I like when I know people who connect over tea, you know, and I want to use this show mm-hmm. as a, I want to spread that spread, spread that lifestyle and that practice and same with new Orleans, you know, there's, there's yeah. philosophy to it. There's ideas, there's, there's connectivity to it. So yeah. So like people yeah. hearing us talk passionately about these moments that we've lived is something that like, not only do I want to revisit all the time, but I want other people to, and yeah, it's vital. And I don't give a shit about like, the social media campaign or the branding or whatever, like literally my branding is just like my handwriting and call in, in, in paint. And like the social media is like, it's 
it's shared like you know? <laughs> and it's like it'll grow and it's and yeah that's it and i'm just gonna keep that, that 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 yeah and i'm telling you that's that's why i mean i don't i don't know why i've been pulled back into like my punk rock youth yeah you know? it's super punk and because it, it. this is so punk what's going on right now and and you know i this is not meant to be uh to diminish the importance or the name jazz in any way but jazz really was punk i mean it was music for people uh-huh. you know and it was rebellion and it was like fringe and it was people having a good time you know it was it was a uh, a lot in common with what what was happening in this you know the 60s and 70s and 80s uh you know the the, the freedom that comes with music you know and uh, and I'm feeling that now people are doing stuff and they're like, you know what? Hey, man, I, I just DJed my 65th night <clears throat> of playing Keep Your Head Up, right? I just had a David Byrne world music dance birthday jam tonight, mm-hmm. right? I, every night I get on Instagram, never done it before. But like two nights after we went on lockdown, I said, I'm going to start DJing our song Keep Your Head Up yeah. just as a, a, a mantra. Just keep your head up, keep your head up, keep your head up. And I was going to do it at the same time, the way, you know, in Islam, there's a call to prayer, you know, three times a day. Like everybody, you know what? We're praying right now, right? So like every day, 6.30, we're going to play keep your head up, right? So it just kept growing. And now here I am like 65 days in. And man, it's just, it's this beautiful thing. It's just, yeah. and it's good. It's for me too. It's like, it's, it's a, a call vibration for me. And yeah. It's a call to action and each, and then it was Bill Withers passing away and Ellis Marcellus passing away. And, 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 and just, you know, all the people like one, you know, John Prine and I, uh, mm. you know, Betty Wright recently, you know, just, yeah. just, you know, and then, then it's also Stevie Wonder's birthday. And now, now today it's David Byrne's birthday. So, let's celebrate that. Let's celebrate their music. And like, let's celebrate Luwaka Bop and all the stuff that like all the people that, that, that I've learned about through, you know, David Byrne. I mean, thank you, David Byrne for, for introducing a world of music to people like myself. Yeah. You know, so much music I wouldn't know about if it wasn't for, for, you know, the talking heads and the Tom Tom club and David Byrne. I mean, uh, I've always man. just, you know, not yeah. to go, not to, to get too uh, tangent, but, you know, David Byrne, just something that he represents to me is, is his, his formal forward thinking and creativity. Like the, the, the Broadway show recently, I had seen the tour a bunch of times, but the Broadway show was another level and being there. Yeah. Uh, I was, I was lucky to go with, I got the person who brought me was the producer of, of stop making sense. So we sat like, uh, cra- wow. you know, we sat right up dead center, I think like row, uh, row four and it was uh, like second night or something like that. It, it was magic. And yeah. you know, I had seen the tour. I'm sure, I'm sure you saw, you were at Coachella and stuff like I'm, you've seen the 60,000 yeah. person version of the, uh, yeah. of the show, but the Broadway thing is a whole nother level. And when you go backwards, it's like, you know, people, there's a whole generation right now that doesn't, they know the songs, but they don't really know who David Byrne is. And, you know, David yeah. Byrne has been, has been innovating with this for a long time. Um, yeah. He is really, really a special, special guy. Um, oh, yeah. His, there, there was some video of him dancing that was like, 
shared a lot last night and it's just this way he twisted his body and i was like oh my god i forgot that david Byrne moved that way like he's yeah he's a dancer man he's he's he you know he i I mean i i can't say enough about him as a human being you know it's when i grew up that's who i want to be you know Uh that's you know i i no i i was we have a special connection uh just a sort of you know spiritual vibey connection he gets what i do Mm. you know and he has mad respect for it you know uh just understanding like what where i come from what i represent what i love you know because it's not just new orleans music like what's happening in new orleans is also happening in in parts of cuba it's happening in haiti it's happening in colombia it's happening in mexico you know i mean mexico's going off the hook man it's like you know the vibration in mexico's always been strong man but right now the vibration in mexico is woo, you know heavy 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 vibration there i love mexico i, I talk about it all the time I'm like mexico is yeah. like the cheat code for the world like you know new orleans is new orleans but like mexico is a whole different thing and people just like really don't appreciate how amazing mexico is <laughs> and, oh my god my, like <laughs> my yeah. parents i don't know if you know this but my parents were living in mexico uh, they were in Mexico City in 1960. No, okay, oh, they so were right before. Wow. Yeah, living in living in the Zona Rosa, and cool. they drove back from Mexico City, and were driving back to Philadelphia, and stopped off in New Orleans. It oh, that's I, it! I, wow. Yeah, they they stopped in New Orleans at one of my dad's roommates from college. He had a roommate from New Orleans, and they stopped to to. They stopped over in New Orleans for oh, wow. like an indefinite period of time. I mean, those are my two cities. Like when I have yeah, a, I mean, when well, I have a that, weekend, it's New Orleans or Mexico City. That's where I well, go. Well, that's like that's like crazy. For my parents, for my parents, they they were deciding between New Orleans or Mexico City. They, huh. That was their choice. They were was it going to be Mexico City? Was it going to be New Orleans? And you you know, there's a lot that we probably. I mean, Jesus Christ, well, we could be here all night talking about this. <laughs> Because the, the deep, deep connection between New Orleans and Mexico City, wow. uh, it runs, it runs, there's layers to it, you know, and there's, there's a, a I mean, I feel it. I don't know if I, and, yeah, you probably yeah. have a bunch of tack, you know, ten, uh, tangible connections. Well, I just personally, I vibe. I mean, it, I, I'm on those I mean, New, I mean, Mexico, Mexico City is closer to New Orleans than New York. Let's yeah. put it that way. Okay. So like there used to be direct flights from New Orleans to Mexico City. Uh, many people used to just drive there. My dad's my dad's business partner in New Orleans. I, I wouldn't say partner, but the person who really taught my dad a business. This older Jewish gentleman named Larry Bornstein, who was a uh, uh-huh. actually that all the, those paintings that are hanging on the wall behind you in, in that photograph, those were all painted oh, yeah. in Preservation Hall. So when Preservation Hall, when it was before before it was Preservation Hall, it was an art gallery. And so throughout the fifties, the, the Preservation Hall was an art gallery before it was Preservation Music Hall. advertised the art at first, right? Uh, well, it was like a draw. The, to, or, or, yeah, yeah, it was like, it was like hey, maybe, it was kind of, actually, it was a very interesting thing that they, that they discovered was, uh, they discovered if they used musicians as models for painting, that they could that they could circumvent the Jim Crow laws of the time, and the police wouldn't hassle them. Oh, uh, yeah. So that it was kind of a, this this little hustle thing that they had going on. So they would hire musicians to sit for paintings and allow the musicians to play to desegregate. And yes, yeah, so as long as the musicians weren't being paid, 
<laughs> for playing. Fuck, that's so fucked up. Isn't that crazy? Ugh. So as long as they weren't being paid for to play, and if 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 the authorities came by, it was always they'd oh, say well, they were a model. No, no. Yeah. Oh no, no. We're, we're these famous painters from New York, and you know, and this guy, and you know, this and. And they would, you know, this guy, Larry, who introduced my parents to New Orleans and was the one who had the Mexico connection and, and, um, and started the art gallery. He was originally from Chicago. So he was kind of an, he was an outsider too and had a different, you know, kind of take on it all. So he was the one who, you know, really taught my dad the ropes. And, uh, and he immediately, when he found out that my parents had this love affair with Mexico City, you know, he just kind of took my dad under his wing. And uh, yeah, that, and I, I mean, I grew up spending quite a bit of time in Mexico uh, as a child. We, we used to drive there from New Orleans. It's really not that far. I'd love to do that drive. I've never done it. Yeah. Yeah. What, what is mean, it? Five now, hours or something? Well, it, it, I mean, New Orleans to Houston is six hours, uh-huh. you know? And then I think from like, you go south of Houston and then it's maybe another five hours. Oh no, it's further in. Yeah. Yeah. yeah then you, you go down, you go down towards the, like the Padre Islands. And you go down um, to Brownsville and Matamoros, which now, I mean, back then it was just a, a border town, like kind of dusty border town. But now uh-huh. it's, you know, it's pretty, um, I mean, it, it's really pretty violent, you know, for that, that like first, you know, 150 miles till you like really get. Oh, so can it. you not do the drive anymore? I mean, it's we haven't idea. done it. Yeah. yeah, we haven't done it. I mean, people, people, I mean, people from Mexico tell me, don't do it don't like do just, it. Yeah. just fly directly to mexico city right uh, you really don't want to like you know any of those it's not even really so much the border town it's like once you get like 20 30 miles in in inland that it you know becomes just kind of hairy yeah. yeah it's crazy understanding you know i was reading an article like i'm in jalisco and um yeah there was a cartel takeover you know last month and or yeah. a few weeks ago and and it was actually a peaceful takeover but peaceful with tons of guns like they, they made a yeah. demonstration it was like a violent demonstration well, it wasn't violent it was just they were yeah. shooting guns to show yeah. how many guns they had and but the comment was this is actually an okay thing because this particular cartel that has taken over this area they don't mess with anyone unless their product gets taken away so as long right. as they can yeah they have they don't bother any like anything else uh, right. They just want to be able to operate and move. Um, yeah. But man, it's crazy. Also like another thing crazy. you know, just uh, yeah. that I, I like to rant on Instagram. This is now a couple months ago, but just about how many TV shows there are that represent Mexico and the ratio of Mexican cartels for Mexico. Like basically other than a few Mexican films that have crossed over to the United States, pretty much every yeah. representation of Mexico period is cartels. Yeah. It, it, and it's white people. Oh Every show is Ozark yeah. or Breaking Bad. Right. or It's white people in America going into some crazy situation yeah. for the cartels. And it's just, and well, then there's like the, the just nondescript Mexican drug dealer who's, right. you know, got violence below the surface. And like, you know, but there's a backstory. And so, well, I mean, isn't that's just? I mean, that's like you know, that's that's, that's racism, right? That's yeah, just, it's so. Fun. That's what we do to everything. That's what we do to black people and yellow people and brown people and green it's people. So and, you know, yeah. But you know, I mean, what's been interesting, man, is that um, you know, this 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 uh, the COVID hit, 
we closed Preservation Hall. And when did you close? We closed like the like the beginning of the second week of March. Okay. Yeah, what about like March tenth or eleventh? Oh, so right that was pretty there. that was really early. Yeah. That was like right. It was right really there. early. Yeah, we were just starting to get I flew out on March tenth. And okay, that was like the day. I think March tenth was like the day. Like I remember it was insane that I left when I left because it was like well, I, I had a friend who was in New Orleans from London producing an album here. Mm-hmm. He was, uh, and all of a sudden I heard that there was going to, that they may start shutting down. They weren't going to let people into the country. And he was like, as soon as they got wind of that, he, he, he hightailed it back to London, to his family yeah. in London. Yeah. And, and that, you know, things were happening so fast and we weren't getting real direction from government, you know, like the government, what to do. No, that's we just decided, we were like, you know what, it, it's not worth it. Let's just close the doors and just and, and, and err on the side of safety. Uh, and I'm glad that we did. Uh-huh. Uh, what, what I knew from my experience after Hurricane Katrina is kind of how to mobilize very quickly, you know, in, in, in light of, uh, of, of sort of these, these like disaster situation scenarios, you know, I, I learned like some important lessons from Katrina, how to, how to, how to redirect energy in an organization and, 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 and redirect focus very quickly, you know, Tell when, me about when, that. when you're sort of, well, you, you know, like after, Katrina it was very in New Orleans it was similar like all of a sudden there was no venue for us to play in mm-hmm. you know there was there was no there was no revenue you know so what do you do when there's no revenue especially in a business where the musicians who you um, employ and for us it's about 60 musicians make up the preservation hall greater collective you know inside of this collective I have I have the preservation hall jazz band which is my band but the greater collective is, is 60 musicians that play at Preservation Hall regularly. And they, they all rely on uh, the gig economy, you mm-hmm. know, and New Orleans really is that one city left in the U.S. where you can be like a gigging musician. You can go and play a gig at Vaughn's once a week. Preservation Hall does play- three sets a night. 20, I mean, what? Five. Five, five, five. sets a night? Oh, my we, God. We, we had, hey, for the last two, Sean, for the last two years, Wow. Things have been going. So I think we like the shows were so in demand in the last <laughs> two years. We had ne- we haven't experienced. We had never experienced this uh, up until fairly recently that shows would sell out. So we decided to add earlier matinee shows, like family shows. Well, also I had a daughter, so you know when you have a kid, you realize you're not you're not staying out as late uh, on a regular basis. You're like looking for something to do at five p.m., not at nine p.m. You know, by nine p.m. you want to be, you know bedtime routine uh on your way to like bed uh so i want to read doing- wait as you're saying that i, I want to interrupt you for a second to just yeah. uh, like juice like this is from 10 years ago in vanity fair what comes after is up to benjamin 40 the younger son of the family that has run the hall since 1961 as creative director he oversees all of the hall's operations and plays saxophone and string bass string bass with the touring band the key question he faces is this with all of the original musicians dead and gone an aging audience base and a popular culture more interested in hip-hop than old-time jazz what are you preserving and how long can you keep it up jaffe's optimistic (laughs) answer 
the anniversary is about the next 50 years. That was 10 years ago in Vanity Fair. Right. Yeah, 10 years and ago. And you're man. doing five sets a night. Five sets. <laughs> I know. I know. Two bands, you know, 14 musicians, two nights a week, seven nights, seven nights a week, you know. Wow, that's uh, crazy. So when, so, so when you think about, when you think all of that is just, it's just gone, uh, the, the, the responsibility for these musicians doesn't stop. You know, we're Preservation Hall, so we care for our musicians, whether we're open or not. If so we, we, that, it's I, not like they're going to the other guy or something, you know, if you want to keep that, yeah, well, you have to take care of them. You have yeah. to keep them. Oh, exactly. You, you earn their trust. You know, you, you really work hard to earn their trust. And, and, and when you, uh, when you have, when you, when you, when you have earned somebody's trust and they're your family, then you, you know, you feel, I, I feel a responsibility and that's, that, that was the responsibility I felt after hurricane Katrina, you know, the, that was the first time I, I, I started a foundation and, yeah. you know, raised a million dollars then for the New Orleans, you know, music community. And then now we, we, I, I kind of knew the roadmap mm-hmm. this time, you know, like I, 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 instead of it taking six months for us to get the foundation up and running, we already had the foundation up and running and we just redirected our energy into serving our musicians and getting them relief. I mean, within a week of preservation hall closing, we were, we were, circulating um you know uh support to our musicians and i, I think like as of this week they foundation our musicians stopped. have received yeah. no no the foundation that's what's amazing i mean i'm so glad that uh that um i mean i i i i, I this is something i learned through through living through hurricane katrina was the value of having a foundation associated with preservation hall and uh, particularly you know, it, this, these are exactly those moments that a foundation are designed for when your when your primary source of revenue is is stripped from you. What do you have? And we have the foundation, which is there to care for our musicians and for the the music community of New Orleans, and and to make sure that Preservation Hall, you know, can and will open its doors. You know, whenever that is. You know, so as you're saying this, and I didn't really think about it this way, but this is a microcosm of the whole musical universe right now, where we've yeah. been headed this way for a long time. Long uh, time. And, you know, the whole thing, there was an article last week uh, that I think has been, you know, ridiculously overshared, not, not overshared, just widely shared, um, what happens when exposure is all there is. And, you know, the, the uh, summation of the article effectively says, you know, streaming, it's, streaming is not the problem. However, streaming is unsustainable when touring goes away. So when you can't get Generate the revenue. booking yeah. because of the cool playlist that you're on, or you can't call the promoter in this city and say, yo, I've got 50 million plays on Spotify. Can you give me 2,500 bucks for, you know, in a hotel room? When you can't do that, your 50 million plays, the, the, the check that you get for your 50 million plays, and I'm t- 50 is a massive amount of plays. Yeah. Most artists we're talking about get 50 million plays never. They get, you know, if they get 1 million plays, it's, it's amazing. But um, yeah. that check, even for 50 million plays, is not doing it. And well, I, 
yeah, I mean, you, you, you're exactly right. Artists, artists over the last 10 years, you realize that the music we're making is part of the press kit that uh-huh. we're creating to Music's sell an advertisement. Yeah. Yeah. That, that, that we're, that we we're now creating music as this, uh, this, this gift. It's a loss leader. <laughs> yeah. And, 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 and the thing that, that, that does generate revenue for artists is the touring. So um, now preservation hall is a completely different scenario well that's we that's own. exactly yeah so. yeah we, we 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 i mean my dad very very wisely i mean one of the things that you know people don't don't know about my dad is my dad went to wharton and my dad was an mba and like you know had a lot of business mentors in his life and was also a tuba player uh like, and a ja- yeah and a jazz tuba player nonetheless you know so he he understood business differently than other people in the music industry you know, mm. he never saw himself as being part of the music industry um he he, he saw preservation hall as a cultural institution uh and uh you know i be in and sort of almost like unwittingly like discovered ways for it to, to sustain itself through through i mean through like through everything i mean through the civil rights movement through Hurricane Camille and Betsy, you know, through through the death of every original member of the band, you know, uh, including himself. I mean, we're still here, you know, uh, and that that's that's really special. I mean, it's it's something I think about often, you know, just about the the gift he gave me to to to, to process all of these things, you know, to 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 process the the art and and the culture and the tradition, and then also to to also have this balance of of business acumen and, and entrepreneurship that you know a lot of musicians actually do have that those those talents they but uh oftentimes they're just you know they rely on a manager or they rely on like yeah, a, it's a, a in the label back. or it's in the agent yeah it's not yeah. so that they can sort of like not have to to be involved the whole the whole thing is they pride this like i want to stay focused on my creative and i pay these people to yeah. not have to think about I, that yeah, absolutely. And then so, all of a sudden, uh, things happen, and it might not be what they would have wanted. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah. So this yeah. is, you know, we can talk about this holistically, kind of conceptually, philosophically, but yeah, it's super practical and active and granular. And yeah. I mean, literally, like I came to where was it a year ago? Yeah, it would have been Jazz Fest a year ago. Um, yeah you know, Greg said, don't tell Ben, but I comped you, you know, I comped you plus one tonight. And I put a hundred <laughs> bucks in anyway, because I yeah, knew yeah. where I was. And, and I, and I said, thank you, Greg. And I appreciated that. But like, it was, it was the fundraiser. And I know why there's a fundraiser. I yeah. understand what I get out of it. And if yes. it's Brooklyn Steel in New York, and you know, Bowery Presents is comping me, and it's their fundraiser. I don't really give a shit. You know, I'm, I'm like, I'm saying thanks for the comp and I will, you know, also expect a drink ticket. (laughs) But (laughs) when I come to preservation hall, I I put a hundred bucks in. Uh, Yeah. It's, it's, it's the, uh, it's the, what's it called? It's what's the thing they, they put around at church, you know, the, uh, Oh, the uh, the plate, the communion. Yeah, like, whatever. Communion. Yeah, we're a couple of Jews like talking about church. 
yeah. <laughs> the plate, the something, the collection plate, the collection plate, the collection plate, yeah, yeah, yeah the yeah. collection plate. But you know, it, it, it's beyond, the, you know, it's, um, I mean, yeah, I guess it's like, it's an institution. The church is an institution. We want it to exist. And we, we know that we have to go put in what we can. Yeah. There, there's, a, there's an element of patronage that comes up, which is very classical, yeah. you know, historical aspect yeah. of like, there was a painter that we want him to keep painting. So someone's going to have yeah. to foot the bill. Yeah. I, honestly, like that's, I think there's two roads forward there's patronage and there's diversification and a bunch of artists like I'm, I'm not a patronage artist. I'm a diversification artist. I'm a horizontal artist. I'm a, I can open up a podcast and spend a few thousand dollars on that podcast because that podcast is going to make my music get more press. And then that song that comes out is going to, is going to elevate me. And then I'm going to make a film and more people are going to go watch the film. And then that tour that I eventually do whenever the fucking world opens up is going to, more people are going to know about me because I can spread the word through all these things. And I can also make the tour really fucking cool because I can have all these different elements be a part of it. That's my business model, if you will. And I can, maybe there's a year where I make no money on the podcast and I make all my money on touring. Maybe there's a year where I don't tour at all and I make all my money through sponsorships and stuff like that. I can do that. And that's one type of artist, I think. The other type of artist is really, really good at, you know, singing. And they're, that's Mm. it. They're just really good at singing. But that singing does not scale that single vertical does not scale anymore in the way that we could get that singer to do their best work, but we want to hear that singer sing. And what happens? What do we do with that? I I have no answer beyond patronage. You know, we we can do the exposure thing, diversifying that artist, but we can get the artist on the podcast and get the artist featured vocalist on this other thing. And we can have them come in and do your, uh, the, uh, offline collab, you know, one of those things, which gets again, exposure. But when is that artist making money to pay for the record that we want them to make? I don't have another answer other than someone has to just pay for it. I don't, I don't know. What yeah. do you think? No, I, I mean, it, it, I, what you're saying is, is, is something that, that, that I, that I think about often, mm-hmm. you know, I, I, but I, I thought about this often for for decades you know uh because you know, the the world that i grew up in is divided into two to two sort of uh sides there's the hard ticket commercial acts that tour uh commercial venues and then there's this other world that i grew up in the sort of soft ticket or as you like to say patronage world the performing arts arena, the world of the, the, the not-for-profit organizations, you know, the, the, the classical world, the ballet world, the opera world. And then in the 60s, they started- Yeah, I go to the opera. I, I go to the opera. I go to the ballet. I do right, these things. Yeah. I go to off, I go to a, a, like handmade DIY opera, actually. Like I'm right. Betty Morrison. I was uh-huh. talking to her. I, was, I want her on the show. There, that's other than the Met Opera. Like I go to the Met Opera yeah. all the time. I'm on the fucking thing. I give my two hundred and fifty dollars yeah. or whatever to be, you know. But I also go to like other operas that are in pop up venues and stuff. I love that shit. Right, right. So in the '60s, jazz started making started moving into this world too, 
you know, now there's jazz at Lincoln Center mm-hmm. and, you know, Wynton Marsalis. Um, and they, in the 60s, because of people like Pete Seeger and because of the popularity of the Newport Folk Festival, like folk artists started started mingling in this performing arts world milieu, you know? So now we started finding patrons for, for jazz in that world. So that was really the world that I, I grew up in. I didn't grow up in the hard, as much in the hard ticket world mm-hmm. as I did the soft ticket world, you know? So it's always been more familiar to me, this idea of patronage and what that actually means. And that it's not just your audience, but these people are there, as you said, that they are the patrons of, 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 that band that evening you are the the ones that are helping make this this thing happen you know so this Um, is i mean this is so important like everything that we're talking about this is the meat of it this is it right right here i've i've been absolutely i have i mean interestingly i have i have guided several of my friends through the process of creating their own foundations and what that means and and they're, they're, and I have been I have proselytized to many many rock artists you know about hey man you should do this have it have it in your orbit you know it doesn't it, it'll grow as you grow but it mm-hmm. will be there I, I it's not a I wouldn't say a safety net but it as especially as I saw revenue for for many artists dropping off because of of what was happening digitally in the digital world, I I I I, intu- I instinctively knew that you, we were that it wasn't going to be me, but I saw my friends who only knew one or two sources of revenue. Yeah, uh, that this was going to be a real thing for them. Um, I mean, my my dad's and, dealing with this in a practical way right now. Sure, total flip of, of what you're talking about, but he had an artist i i of course will not you know say who but like an artist or a fucking amazing artist not like 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 you know in the cycle of like they should be going out and making money touring and that's not going to happen so that artist and manager asked like hey like we can go back in the studio and go make another record right now but like you know can you pay for it (laughs) and um you know, yeah. my dad has to, my dad straight up like asked me like, what do you think? And I was like, like, do I want you to like, hell yeah. Cause I want another record from that artist who I love and yeah. hell yeah. I want you to patronize this artist who I appreciated for the last 20 years of my life up, you know, even right. today, but shit, is it a good idea profit and loss wise for a, you know, for a company right. that employs, I don't know, 50, well, 60 people. Nah, nah, nah. I'm not sure. Well, that you, you you're talking about like, you know, for me, you have to go back to the '60s when you found people like John Hammond, and you know, like you found you found record labels um, weren't just producing commercial records, but you know, you had they would have classical music and they would have folk music and they would have jazz, you know, things that don't necessarily uh, generate revenue now. But you had you had people working at these labels who were very much in the ecosystem of this, this soft performing arts cultural world, right. you know? So they, they already saw themselves as patrons of the arts. So when they signed someone like a Bob Dylan, they saw it as an act of, <laughs> of patriotism. <laughs> uh, you know what I mean? They, it was, wow, 
you know, I, I wonder if they actually thought that Bob Dylan was going to be commercially successful or if yeah. they were like pleasantly surprised that it became sort of a zeitgeist moment. How are know? we going to keep art not like, like how are we going to keep artists and those who work in the artistic industries, how are we, we going to keep those not as second class citizens? Like how, how are they? Everybody, the whole, this is what you and I were talking about though. Like, the whole system has to be dismantled. It's it's yeah. already it's already dismantled. I mean, it's it just happened like right mm -hmm. before our eyes without any without us having anything to do with it. The it's whole been like Alinda Sagara has not put an album out. Like she put out, she made one of the best albums in my, I mean, amazing amazing album. Like one of my favorite yeah. albums of all time, almost four years ago now. I think right. like. And why does she not have another album out? I, I don't I don't know her personally. I just she's yeah. just I know you do, and like she's just someone who came popped into my head of like this system was already messed up. It, my point being like that right. it's now been a few years since that hurry for the Riff Raff album came out. She made what you know leaps. She she went from like a cool, really great singer songwriter folk kind of thing to like an arcade yeah. fire level of production and big yeah. big album big record movie star kind of record and now it's been four yeah. years so that so this yeah. and now covid comes so this has already right. been going but like how does alinda get to make more records and she, she i saw her opening you know with one uh, guitarist opening for jim james and like she should be bigger well, the, for someone like Alinda, I mean, this is a moment for her, you know. Um, I I like that she doesn't have to rush into the next thing, you know, that she can, you know, actually take a moment like this as 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 as, as, as a moment for reflection and growth, you know. Uh, it's funny because her and I just, we had lunch together, uh, you know, not, not, not much before Crew de Carnival, mm -hmm. you know, and we're just talking about music and just like where things are going and what we're working on. And she wanted to come to hang out and see the studio and, you know, just kind of just feel like part of New Orleans, you know. Um, I, I, I love that. I love that everything, I mean, it sucks for your dad right now in some ways, I mean, just like the, you know, because, well, it's, it's, it's really sucked for, in, for a long time. If, if you're not, if you're not licensing music, you know, if your only source of revenue is touring and, you know, whatever music sales are, they're down, they're up. I mean, I, I don't really understand if anybody's actually making any money. Somebody's making money somewhere. I don't know how I mean, anymore. Just, my dad, you know? just to be clear, like, so that, cause I know that there's people who listen and I don't want like, uh, don't cry for me, Argentina. Like Glassnote is an exception and Glassnote does remarkably well somehow. Yeah. I don't entirely understand. I, I, I understand better than the average person, but like my dad compared to other indie labels, uh, he comes from a school, oh. a promotion school that his yes. uh, counterparts are generally doing something else. They're either, they're either in another industry or they are at a major label and they're doing promotion yeah. at a major label. My dad's the only single, the only person who is running an indie who has his, uh, you know, balance of promotion and relationships as a strategy. And he, they make money. Glassnote does yeah. really well. And, um, well, yeah. 
Yeah, I mean, I mean, I was, I was going to say like you know, uh, we're on sub pop, and and they do well, you know, and it's, it's fun. It's like some I, I believe part of it is also that the people who listen to artists on those indie labels see themselves as patrons, and you and I are like we keep sure. coming back to this again. They want the album. They want a piece of the artist. They want to support. They see it as like a responsibility. Yeah. To support the artist. I think Sub Pop is a that, great example yeah. of that. Yeah. I think people yeah. just like before Sub Pop would go away. I don't think Glassnote has Glassnote is a machine and Glassnote yeah. does really well. I don't think people are like out there saying I'll listen to it because it's on Glassnote. Like like a few, but not really. But there's people out there who are like, I'll listen but to they're, it. But there are people exactly, but there 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 are, are your your dad has curated yes. uh, a community of artists. And yes. maybe it's not it's not maybe they're not they're not they're not buying it because it's a glass note album, but they're buying it because it's there's a, a halo the artist. Yes, 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 yes. You know, yeah, whereas yeah. on sub pop, I, I do know people who are like, I have no idea who this artist is, but I'm buying this t-shirt and I'm totally. buying this album. And I'm going to, in fact, you know, I'm going to tell people to buy it just because I don't, I am just, I'm, I'm about sub pop, you know, and that's right. a rare thing. Uh, in some ways that's, that that's kind of, what preservation hall has become is people have just trusted us to to be to represent a certain thing and you know that's why we you know a lot of times we don't even advertise like who we're going to be doing projects with we're just like hey just trust us just come out to the show it's just just you know support us i think you need to give like mentorship and pep not, not, not pep talks like strategy sessions with yeah. managers, labels, artists that are, are like their own, you know, entrepreneur type oh of artists. Like, yeah, you need to talk a lot because I, this I, is I a paradigm, to, man. I try to, you know, I, I mean, you maybe this is something you could, you, you, I mean, I'd, I'd be happy to do it, and you could even like help set it up because I, 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 I mean, with even like our manager, um, who is the reason I you know, met Jim James in my morning jacket and me and him became very good, you know, close friends over time. I remember when I was explaining to him what a foundation is, you know, oh. and, it, and, it, and to me, it's, um, it's so natural. It's hard to explain. I have never actually had to ex- find the words to explain it to somebody. And, and finally he goes, so you mean like when I go to the Kennedy center in Washington, DC, and there's a program, and at the bottom of the program, they said, this concert made possible by a grant from da 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 I'm like, yes, it's all of those things. It's the yeah. Kennedy Center. It's the right. people who work at the Kennedy Center. It's the board of directors that you don't see. It's the National Endowment for the Arts. It's- Because uh, we, yeah, you Europe, know. like, like yeah, it's, it's also just like <laughs> Europe. Like, like Americans don't understand. Yeah, yeah Canada, yeah. Europe, like, like when someone wants to go make a movie, they like call yeah. someone in a government yeah. office and, or they, they go and they take a meeting or a lunch or something yeah. or they apply for a grant that just right. the government has a spe- specific amount of money that they give out yeah. because they want people to make art because they, they value, think it's good they, for the culture. They, value it. Yeah, they, they think value civilization. It. Value. Uh-huh. Yeah. Yeah. So yeah, I mean, part, New Orleans that, is New Orleans because of things like Preservation Hall. Why do people come to New Orleans? Congo Square, Preservation well, Hall, stuff like that, Jazz Fest. We, one of my one of the things I I preach to to my artist friends is them seeing themselves differently 
and seeing their audience differently and treating their audience differently, not as consumers, but as patrons. So you know? tell me, go, what, go in on that. What, what, what does that feel like? It's very difficult because it, 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 in some ways, all it is is changing the verbiage that we use and the, and, and, and the, and, and the language to describe people, you know? You know, you, some people call it a consumer, some people call it a patron. I mean, it's how you actually, it's how you see yourself when you look in the mirror, you know? Um, that's the difference. I mean, I learned that from people like Tom Waits and Bob Dylan, when they look at themselves in the mirror, they see an artist, you know, um, and they approach life as an artist. They breathe the air of an artist, you know, and then there's other people who see themselves as, oh man, I, I play music, you know, maybe they are an artist, but they don't define themselves as an artist, you know, or they, they don't, they don't, they don't, they don't see that language. The music comes up in a different environment for a different reason, or the music comes up in a, in a, you know, in a, a dance club and, you know, well, how could a dance club possibly be, you know, how could that be art? And I'm like, well, you know, sort of like, let's, let's go back a couple hundred years ago to like Austria. And, you know, this is what music was. People would go out dancing and it wasn't, mm, 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 but it was waltzes. You know, I mean, music's always been dance music. It, that was the club back then, you know? Um, oh, but I so. can go into my art when I've, like, I, I uh, well, two, two threads. Well, I'll take that yeah. last one really quick. Just like, I had a really invigorating call a few weeks ago with a friend. One of those, hey, what's up? How are you, man? What are you doing? Yeah. Like, can you, like, just a FaceTime. Like, like, random, my phone rings, and it's a FaceTime from my friend Chris, who I, you know, last time I saw him was in, oh no, I saw him in Paris, but before that was in Cuba. And um, he's just like, what up? And I was like, hey, like, what's up? And anyway, it, it was nothing. It was just a, hey, how are you call? And we were on the phone for an hour. But one of the things that uh, was really fucking cool that we had never, we had never talked the way that we talked on that call. We had always been in groups and blah, blah, blah. And he starts talking about the time that we met and I didn't remember. And uh, I was DJing and it was at this night and he started describing it and I got to respond and say, no, 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 that was all on purpose. I went into that club. He, he told me about the lighting. He told me about the time. He, he told me about the song that was playing when the smoke came up and, and, flooded the whole room he told me about he told me all these details and he was telling me as if and, and, but I did that and I remember that night right I went in early every right. week every Wednesday and so, so to, to the other time that that happened was when I met the girl who was about to become my girlfriend uh now like five years ago or you know what our anniversaries tomorrow like in two hours uh I had it written down um <laughs> the first conversation we ever had, I was like, yo, you're like this, like downtown, cool, hot girl. Like you own a clothing shop. Like what's cool. You know, what, where do you go out? I've been gone for four years. This is when I had moved to Los Angeles and I wasn't DJing every night. And she said, you know what? Everything kind of sucks. I haven't been doing that a lot. The last cool thing I used to do was I used to go to Wednesdays at LeBaron and the guy used to just like make it really dark. And he had these red little lasers that he put in and he made it really hazy and he played slow house music. And I really loved that. And that was me. She didn't know that was me, but she apparently used to come to my <laughs> night every week. And 
uh-huh. that was, I love that. That was art. And all of my events at that period of time, I, I got to a certain point at that period in my life where there was a year or two where all my events were, were, were in art. And there was a huge difference with, between the ones that I really went in on and, you know, oh yeah, we're going to play tunes tonight. Like complete, it was night and day. I did everything. And I, uh, the way, you know, you and I, we have like, we could, there's like private catch up that we could do with like, I have a new record and I have a film and blah, blah, blah. When I did the set for my film, I mean, just as much detail oriented as when I did a party. Bef- yeah. you know, like, oh my God, it is absolutely an art. So sorry to go off on yeah. that. Like, you know, but when yeah, you yeah. said that, just like the way that Tom Waits, another book, I'm, I, I've been reading a lot and I'm reading a Tom Waits book too. And um, I mentioned like Kathleen Brennan and stuff like that. The way that Kathleen yeah. made Tom Waits realize that when he looks in the mirror, I'm an artist and all of that. Yeah, um, exactly. You, and then usually it is, it is a woman sometimes. Mm-hmm. <laughs> or uh, <laughs> In in, in 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 you know in the in my case, you know, cool. for a lot of artists, whatever it, it, does it, it's, it's great. Yeah, yeah, I mean, I'm just saying. Sometimes it's a woman who who sort of like guides you into this thing, and you start you you start realizing, you know, you start seeing yourself differently, and then you start treating people a certain way, and and you start, you know, you you know the difference in artists who who treat their audience like David Byrne. He treats his audience yeah. like patrons. You know, he's he the best like, like irregular consumers. regular guy like exactly he's yeah. it's, it's so i've had two really good conversations with him you've you obviously know him better but i've just had enough isolated exposure to him to to feel his energy yeah beyond what it what it radiates publicly but man cool fucking that, guy that, like regular I mean, amazing special, guy you know different yeah yeah all of those things so that's uh you know god damn we have covered a lot of shit man <laughs> we pretty we've talked time. about a lot of shit i know it's great <laughs> i mean what a great time to be talking i mean i've really enjoyed it i mean it's uh it's all these things that that that, that are real that that are that, that that are going to make a real impact in the i yeah, think I mean, you really need like to the, spread the like you know? preservation hall Man, like it's so, I'm so happy that I always bring people because like I recognized immediately how special it was whenever the first time I came, I don't know, probably like seven years ago or something like that. Like, yeah, uh, just we're going to have to do that. Like that's to be regular, this specialness and this, like, you got to look yourself in the mirror and you got to, I think honestly, it is unfortunately like it is two camps. Like there are the Bob Dylans and the Tom Waits who look themselves in the mirror and say like, yo, everything's on my shoulders. I'm going to make this world. And then there's the, there's artists who are just like, uh, you know, they're, they're, they're cool. They're awesome. But they're like, they're just doing a thing, you know? And it's, well, I mean, look, you, you got to put, you know, you got to put Lou Reed in that category. Yeah. You got to put David Bowie. I mean, I put Arcade Fire in that category. Absolutely. I mean, there's, there's a whole, there's a whole community of people who who are, who are carrying that torch. Like, I put Alinda really, in that category. Of course, oh, of course, of course. You know, and and that's the you know that's that's um that's that's the people who are making music for all of the right reasons. You know, and and because they're making music for the right reasons, it will survive. Like that that is what's going to survive. You know, like things that are that are just uh you know being made for 
because you know it's it's a product and that that stuff doesn't survive the test so i guess so you're saying it you know very simply and i'll just say it like it's going to survive i agree with you but it's going to survive because a bunch of people focus and put a lot of fucking work in and recognize yo alinda is is something else and she's going and doing a thing. Something's happening she's inside of her. She's already doing it. Of course, we have she's to go support doing that. It. Yeah. yeah, but we, like, of course we do, and and, and we will. And, and we have and, to and increase it. Receive. We have to do more. Of we have course. To do more. But I mean, look, this is. I I told somebody like when this whole thing, when this whole COVID thing started, I said, look, man, this is our Vietnam moment. This is our Bob Dylan moment. Mm-hmm. This is this is this is. We've never had a moment like this. This generation, like all these, none of us who are alive right now making music have ever had this moment mm-hmm. you know like every war that we've ever talked about it was well, there was no draft you know to go to right. afghanistan um it was so far away that it was you know whatever we saw on cnn it wasn't and for most people it wasn't relevant it didn't mm-hmm. matter to them i mean it, it you know we didn't know that a lot of us didn't know the people who were who were dying you know so it, it it was hard to connect to it like vietnam um so it wasn't our grateful dead moment we haven't had a Grateful Dead moment. We haven't had a Bob Dylan moment. We haven't had a, a Bob Marley moment, you know, in, in a long time, man. You're closer to it. You have, you know, you're you 10 know? years older than me. You have like, a, at least you saw the fumes of it. My yeah. entire, I'm 35 years old and my entire generation, had it at nothing, all. Yeah. nothing. You guys, so when yeah, we got Me had, Too, yeah. when Me Too came along and we all of a sudden, everyone had to be opinionated. It was cool to be opinionated. We didn't have that skill yeah. set. We didn't know how to have opinions. So we all looked like assholes. <laughs> I mean, that, that, that's, that's what's beautiful to me about this moment. Now is, we have to, now is, we really, yeah. You have to, because your music has, your art has now to it's life or something. Death. It's life or death, absolutely. And, 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 and that's, because it was life or death, we got dust in the wind. You know, that's, that would, that's what happens when you, when, you, when, you, when you face life or death, you know. That's been the last few years for me. I left, I, I hit, um, I had about a decade in the, like the machine, you know, in the world Yeah. from DJing to department at Apple music. You know, that was like my, my arc. And then without, without going into the whole thing, but like I hit a point where it was like, I had a, I had a breathing moment and I, it was, I'm alive, you know, and what am I going to do with that? And I made the decision a few years ago, like look in the mirror and I didn't quite cross the threshold. It wasn't until more recently that I crossed the threshold that you spoke of, of looking in the mirror, but I looked in the mirror and made the choice of like, I'm not, that life is not enough for me. I don't want that. I don't want the rewards of that. They're they're not Mm. valuable to me. So I'm going to go seek out something else. And then it was through a few other things that I did cross the threshold of, of no, I'm one of those people and I need mm. to really, really lean in and do all the mm. things mm. and do them to the mat. So like the records that I'm making are not what I was making before, which were just mm. like, it was cool to make records. And that's really how I felt about it. It was like, I love DJing and I'm like making music and that's cool. Now it's, you know, I look at Tom Waits, literally like, like, like he's one of yeah. my models of, I look at that transition from, yeah. you know, from what happened with small change and, and then what happened with, you know, the, the trilogy that he made once Kathleen came along and what, and what happened. Well, that was, yeah, that. It, it, so, I mean, um, 
it's fine. I mean, earlier we were talking about like, you know, how we, you were talking about the directors reaching out to each other and we were talking about oh, yeah, yeah. how this time, like, yeah. And, and interestingly, Tom was, I, I said that there was an artist who I didn't name earlier when, while we were talking, but now that his name has come up like four times already. My fault. Um, was, <laughs> no, no, it's okay. I mean, uh, it was, it was Tom and Kathleen who I reached out to, who I hadn't talked to in, in quite oh, some time. Beautiful. Wow. And just, to, just to, you know, just to say, Hey, thinking of you guys, love you guys, uh, just sending you our thoughts and letting you know that we're okay. And, you know, hoping that you and your family are okay, you know, and, and it, it was beautiful. Uh, there are two people that I feel very, very closely connected to in the world. I mean, he talks about, I, I haven't heard Kathleen speak about it, but he's talked about Preservation Hall a million times. And uh, I think one of his last yeah. records is, is your compilation. One of his last like releases. He hasn't really released yeah, anything well, actually, in a long actually, time. I, Yeah, I mean, he did, he did our record with us. Yeah. And we did a couple songs with him and then, and then uh, me and Clint actually went out and played on his last record, Bad As Me. Yeah. We were the horn section on his record. And uh, that was his last, you know, his last, uh, his last, like, you know, full length album. Your other big moment. I don't think he's toured since then, yeah. Yeah, I don't think he has. Uh, another yeah. big moment that I, you're probably not aware of, but you're mentioned, or maybe you are, you're mentioned repeatedly in the Woody Allen book he talks about preservation hall as one of like his highlights of his career being able to play in preservation hall. <laughs> and I just finished that book too. Well, and it's, it's a more awkward association, but, uh, but it, it, it's something. It is it, <laughs> totally, totally. But you, you, but, but, you know, look, look, put it in context of, of, of when that happened because. Oh, uh, fuck. Woody, no, I'm not saying it in a, yeah. Like, Oh yeah, 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 yeah. But I, but, but, uh, but I, I'll, I'll put it in context because, the the jazz and the musicians that Woody Allen was in love with were the people who my mom and dad came to New Orleans and and uh, and brought into the hall and sort of breathed life into again the way that uh, Ry Cooter you know with the Buena Vista Social Club did yeah. for Cuba that was what was happening and that was the same music that Woody Allen had grown up with in New York. You know, that kind of East Coast, kind of Ivy League, you know, these bands that would go from city to city. I mean, there, there was this jazz, this New Orleans jazz Sydney revival Bichette. thing that was happening. Yeah, Sidney Bechet. And, um, but there, there were also like these, 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 these New Orleans jazz revival bands that would play little dances around the East Coast. And that's what Woody Allen grew up with. And in fact, there's a, a very famous concert series that took place at the Stuyvesant Ballroom in New York City. Hmm. in the 1950s oh, it was arranged that was organized by um a precursor to alan lomax in new orleans his name was william russell and he oh was, yeah okay he, i yeah. it's in a documentary it's in the um uh robert johnson documentary i just i just watched that and they talk about this they, yeah, cool. okay there you go so i mean he brought this band to new york to play 10 shows at the stuyvesant ballroom in the 1950s uh, it was George Lewis on clarinet. It was um, uh, uh, Jim Robinson on trombone, Sai Frazier, Slow Drag Pabajo. Uh, and this, this performance, what, Woody would have been a teenager at that time of right. the performance. And, the, and there was like a group of these guys That's who went to every time, one of those. Yeah they went to every one of these shows, right? And they all mm. talk about it. If you go back to his book, he talks about it in the book. 
So my dad, for people like Woody Allen, became sort of like the this like cool. The, the, he, my dad kind of became the Bob Dylan of this New Orleans jazz scene. Cool. Uh, and uh, my da- they ended up doing the music for Sleeper, and you know, I mean, Woody was Woody was Woody, and then you know, all this creepy stuff happened, and uh you know that's a whole nother i don't i don't want to go yeah we don't yeah. need to toxic so. toxify our, our <laughs> n- n- exactly. not saying not saying he's a bad guy i'm saying i don't even want to go down the path of talking about it totally, it's totally, stupid conversation. I mean, yeah, exactly yeah. exactly <laughs> i i just know that, that when we were growing up it was you know and and he used preservation hall for the soundtrack to sleeper i don't know if you know that but yeah yeah oh, oh no i mean oh i sorry i know the film and i knew it was jazz i didn't realize it was preservation yeah hall, yeah that's that's, the awesome. that's my dad wow. yeah that's my, that's so my dad cool. it was like the musical i gotta rewatch on it one. yeah yeah so, cool. and uh, it's actually funny to go back and watch sleeper because it's all about like you know having intercourse with their hands and like living in bubbles it's like very We're back timely, to that you know yeah. I mean? Where, yeah exactly right demolition <laughs> exactly. man yeah so anyway that was like anyway i i just wanted to put all of that in context no of, of course of, obviously of, like, there's of, like, stories relation yeah. of what was happening in the 50s and 60s and yeah no i'm not i'm not but, uh, using woody allen as a tainted topic i, I I'm, a, I'm a huge woody allen fan uh that's another the whole thing is another another thing you know whatever but um yeah tom waits though is like i've, I've been really thinking a lot about him over the last few months and just i i, I love tom waits so much have, have, you, have you have you have you gone have you watched down by law yeah 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 okay okay yeah uh that's a you know that, that that's kind of like that's sort of like that that movie really established tom as sort of the the patron saint of of like a stern new orleans person you know of of that 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 just that uh you know that lover of music just can't ever quite get their life in order Uh but uh you don't really need to because there's always somebody who's got it worse off he's a dj yeah and he's a dj on woz you know which is like you know the greatest radio station in fact that the house where he wakes up and his, you know, his girlfriend kicks him out and he's out on the street. And there's like this, uh, uh, moment where it's like streetcar named desire. He's down in the, he's down on the ground yelling up at her, you know, not the shoes, not the shoes. <laughs> and then she starts, she starts throwing the shoes out the window. Oh, uh, wow. that was right around. That, that's, that's just that's... like a block and a half from like where I'm at right here now, you know? So all, all of that, all of that meant a lot to all of us growing up, like, you know, having, seeing him as a character and 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 recognizing who he was and sort of not knowing where the character ends and the person begins or the person begins and the character ends you know you just you, you, you that's something that that whole world is something really beautiful that that people like Tom Waits and Bob Dylan um have have perfected you know i wrote a thing like a little a little bit about him in a in a film that so i just finished uh, i'm shooting a film right now you know basically that's like three parts so i shot the first part already thinking i was going to go do the other two but like who knows but the third part has a tom waits like i talk about him and kathleen and that relationship and it's uh it it is invoked in the in the 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 male female dynamics where this guy projects that he thinks how he interprets their relationship 
I mean, wait, you know, you know, I, I, I want to give a shout out to the like, you know, we're talking about these people who help, who help musicians see themselves in a certain sort of, you know, in a certain, you know, frame themselves a certain way, you know, who's, who's one of those really important people is Hal Wilner. Um, was one of those really important people who beautiful helped musicians like see themselves as artists yeah rest in peace i mean what a heavy loss there but he was one of those people who who like you you take someone like laurie anderson it's like where does she belong in the world like you Mm. know what what stage does she belong in you know like is is she making pop records or is she making art records is lou reed's making you know is david bowie this a pop record is this a pop song or is this a you know, like, wow, wait, can it be both? Wait, yeah. you're telling me it could be both? Like, wow. Oh, that's amazing. Like, it can be art and pop? That's the best. You know? That's the good stuff. That's the good stuff right there. That's the gooey, gooey center. Yeah. All right. Yeah, that's a good note, I think. We've, we've covered so. I mean, I could do this all night. Like, this is, this is great. But uh, I want to let you. I know, man. You have a but life, I, I, and uh, <laughs> <laughs> get a life. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Get a life. You know, it's funny. We one thing we did talk about earlier, where you were talking about like New Orleans and sort of like the the things that only exist in the city. Mm-hmm. I'm, I am also. I also think about the like in the past thirty years, the things that did make it out of New Orleans, and I think about No Limit, and I think about oh, yeah. Cash Money. Yeah you know and um we've never had like a rock and roll band besides sort of the neville brothers and the meters make mm-hmm. it outside new orleans you know we had alan Tustein, who was you know not a, not known so much as a touring artist but but was was known sort of was a musician's musician you know yeah but uh i mean there's been also, like, decades yeah. of jazz and and blues it's just yeah I don't know about oh, rock. Yeah. 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 Rock's always been a hard thing here. It's just never, it's, you know, we, we, cause we, cause yeah, we had Fats Domino and Professor Longhair and like James Booker. And you're talking about like people who, and Dave Bartholomew and, and Smiley Lewis are third part. They're like the arc, some of the architects of rock and roll, mm-hmm. you know, but not, but we've never had a, you know, uh, a white stripes or, uh, you know, uh, come out of the city like that or dance I mean, i've never really seen new orleans as a as a rock or a dance town i've seen it as you know there's the yeah. there's the blues and jazz stuff and then there's the hip-hop stuff you know and bounce yeah. is like you know in but, its own that bounces its own thing as well but i've yeah, never really yeah. i don't know um i'm it, it, as i mean in, it's, it, it, there is yeah the rock guys that i know in new orleans are cheesy honestly like I have friends who do rock in New Orleans and like, they're like, they're cool. I see them, you know, but like they're cheesy. Yeah. They're nerds. They smoke too much weed and they're nerds. But like the cool, the cool crowds are not really rock crowds. Like all the, all the jazz fest no. acts are, you know, the rock acts are from elsewhere. Yeah. yeah. You, have you checked out Tank and the Bangas? Have you been of like, course, uh, of course. Yeah. 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 Yeah, um, a lot. I love taking the bangs. You know? Yeah. All right, man. Well, look, I I do have to go. Hey, <laughs> yeah, dude, make, thank you so much. Make, thank yeah, you. Support our foundation, yes. preservationhall.com. Um, everything is like 
you know, all all donations are going straight to like through us to our collective of musicians. So, you know, make so you know, important. Make sure that, that uh, yeah. Is that the, do I just do. give everyone the link preservationhall.com? Is that it? Yeah, totally. Yeah, the first thing that pops up is like a, okay, you know, cool. a blinking like because I want to make sure that I, I highlight that. Yeah. Yeah. Totally. Okay. Yeah, totally. Man, hopefully we can do it in person sometime soon. And uh, I hope so, man. I hope so. I know so. In fact, um, I mean, my, one of the things I, I, I'm gonna, I've been working on for years is um, a tuba festival in New Orleans, um, like a, a tuba conference. And some of the best tuba players in the world are in Mexico. Oh, cool. I don't, yeah, I don't know if you know that. I don't but know. There's no, like, I don't know. There is, I'm, I'm, I'm just telling you, there is mad, there's this style of music uh, called banda. Okay. And it's these, it's these huge bands. They're like 18 pieces, bandas. Yeah, I'll, I'll, I'll send you some of it. Um, there are these, these huge bands and uh, they have a tuba and clarinets and trumpets and trombones and two drummers. And then like usually like two or three vocalists up front. And, uh, and then like, and like four or five trumpet players and they're huge, like uh, brass ensembles. Cool. And uh, it, it sounds a little bit like if you're not used to hearing it, it sounds a little bit like circus music or like German polka music. Mm-hmm. But uh, if you turn on the radio and you hear like, you know, like, like this kind of, you know, it sounds like AM radio. Yeah. Fonda. Cool. So, but the, the baddest ass tuba players are in nice. Mexico. Yeah. Love that. So uh, right. that's going to happen and we're going to make it happen. I'll be there. I'll be there. All right, brother. We'll, we'll, we'll do it, man. Thank you so much for doing this. I really, really appreciate it. And Absolutely, we got man. a lot of work I, ahead I and you're doing, you're doing important yes, stuff indeed. and we, we appreciate it. All right, dude, send love to everyone out there and uh, we'll talk soon. Peace, man. Thank you. Indeed. Peace and love.